You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. This episode is presented by Citizens Bank of Edmund. Citizens Bank of Edmund has been serving Edmund since 1901. They pride themselves on investing in the community and are here for all your personal and business banking needs. For more information, go to mycitizens.bank and follow them on Instagram at citizensedmund, as well as Go bank there because I bank there too. It's been a fantastic personal experience for me. I've had my podcast account there now, my podcast business account there now for a few, four years now, I think. And it's been fantastic. So definitely worth your time. They're a great group of people and they're always there to answer the phone when I forget my password because I seem to forget it daily. Um, So yeah, go to Citizens Edmund and um, check them out. It's been awesome. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike and here, host, back with another episode. Excited to bring you my guest today, Mr. Connor Quinn, who uh, is a voiceover actor. Um, we're going to get into some of that. I can't wait to hear some of the stories that, you know, you've done this for 36 plus years. You were a child actor in the 70s. Um, you've come back to Oklahoma because your parents are from here. So, yeah, there's a lot to get through. Um, but thank you so much for coming down. Excited to dive into your story. Um, I mean, let's talk about right now. What's current life like right now? I am blessed. I'm uh, totally, if I die tonight, I've lived a good life, you know, uh, I love what I do for a living because when I wake up in the morning, I have no idea what I'm going to be, whether I'm going to be a pirate or whether I'm going to be the voice of a a fox or whether I'm going to be doing a boring corporate narration. Yeah, I've never, I have never any idea what I'm going to do. It might be a video game. It might be a commercial yeah. Whatever. But uh, and plus, I'm very blessed to be here in our great state of Oklahoma. I mean, we were just talking about, you know, living on either coast is not uh, conducive to life or at least my life. I, yeah. I'm very fortunate and glad to be here in Oklahoma. Mm. So uh, why, why the decision to move out of, you know, the coast and beautiful 70 degree weather and sunshine and <laughs> right. all of that and entertain four seasons in Oklahoma, sometimes in one day? Right. Well, there's two things. One is traffic. And number two was my parents. 
you know, they were born and raised here in Oklahoma, and uh, they were living out here to the end of their life. And they got fairly ill. And so uh, in order to kind of like help kind of take care of them, I decided to move back and uh, take care of them and be with them, you know, you know, do the same honor that they did for me, you know, in the my developing years. And it was also an excuse to leave L.A. because it was like I remember the, one of the last times I was living in L.A., uh, coming back from an event like one in the morning it is uh, bumper to bumper traffic. You might as well shut your car off or you're going to run out of gas. And I'm not the smallest guy. I could get out of my car and crawled faster than we were moving. So I literally called my agent at one in the morning and said, I, you know, I don't care if I clean bathrooms at Walmart. I've got to leave because, you know, I had been in L.A. basically since I was a child and uh, I was just fed up. It was just like everywhere you want to go in L.A., it's like you've got traffic to deal with and there's really no mass transit. I mean, there is, but there isn't. It's not like New York, yeah. you know. So so it's appealing, obviously, to get out of L.A. and come to Oklahoma. I mean, what was that first week like coming back? You know, are you because obviously like L.A. is full of culture and food and all the other stuff that you want too, right? right? Like you come to Oklahoma and it's just like oh, quiet peace. It was not. Right? Like, it was just Brahms like ice cream. That's it. Literally, it was just like yeah, right. It was, <laughs> it was like yeah, it was like literally just like you're at a, a a mega raging concert, which is awesome, and then you just get in the peace and quiet of your car, and you're just like, whew, that was interesting. But this is quiet. But then there was other weird things, like for example, uh, I I never been to a Walmart, so a buddy of mine took me to Walmart. And a dude opened the door for me and I came undone. It's like, because you just don't really see that like in LA, someone doesn't open a door for you. So my first thought was, what do you want? Why would you, who don't know me, what, you know? And he was like, chill, you need to chill because here we wave at people for no reason. Um, It's just a slower pace and, you know, Fellow Oklahoma, fellow Okies, they'll complain about the traffic. To me, there is no traffic in Oklahoma. I'll take game day in Norman over the 405 freeway uh, at eight in the morning. It's just so, yeah. I mean, but when I first got here, it was it was like uh, kind of like going to a masseuse or a spa, you know, just having a chill that just. Oh, this is what life is supposed to be. You know, so I, I look out my studio and there's a cow chewing her cud. As opposed to L.A., it's smog and traffic and what have you. Yeah. So so when you came back, you, I mean, you bought a house and obviously the house prime and the real estate industry, as we're in California's real estate office recording this, uh, the house prices are a lot better here as oh well. Oh, my God. And well, what you get for your money is phenomenal. That's true. So you got probably got to build out a killer studio as totally, well. Totally. Exactly. So a lot of people, when they saw, you know, when I finally, I finally told my partner, we got to, you know, we're going to have to move. Uh so, you know, that was a whole discussion. But when we, we came out here, we started to look around. When people found out what our house was worth in Los Angeles, they thought we we're like Madonna type thing. And it was like, no, 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 that's that's just the average price that if you if you want like a, you know, in a, in a cul-de-sac in Granada Hills, you're, you're paying, you know, several million. And so the prices out here for that same amount of money, you could get five acres 
here in Oklahoma. So it's just like, what? Why? Why? You know, I remember years ago living in someone's house in a room above their garage. I would have to go and use their bathroom and their, but I'd pay expensive rent. You know, it's just, you know, as I mentioned before we started, uh, L.A., in a word, is a dumpster fire. It is. It's just, you know, you know, everybody's complaining, well, the Californians are moving out, you know, and it's true. They're figuring out uh, that's not the place we want to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, don't give away your address, but tell me about the house, non-negotiables when you bought the house. Like, you know, uh, we can geek out about real estate for a second because, uh, well, I like to listen about people who like want to go and buy their house and look at things. So tell me about it. It's a beautiful, I, you know, I'm not a nerd, so I don't know how many, it's, it's more square foot than I ever dreamed of living bigger than my parents' house. And it was very affordable with what we were able to sell our, you know, our stuff out in LA. Uh, my partner, he picked out everything, you know, as far as getting the house built. So we bought basically a track of land and, uh, it's about five acres put on, a, you know, built a house and I've never lived in the country in my life. So the first, the first time we were out there, um, some people down the way, you know, I'm looking at, okay, this, is this where we're going to build a house? Yes. I, I'm not a construction guy. So I'm just like, it, it doesn't look, yeah, what are we going to build a fort? Cause it, I mean, I was really worried. I'm like, what, what did we do? We had a house. Now we don't. Yeah. And so this little couple come up from up the road and they said, oh, yeah, you know, look at your property here. You're going to have to get a, uh, a brush hog. And I said, no, 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 we don't want any animals. Not at all. And she's like, it's not an animal. It's a it's like a tractor. You know, I'm as that stupid. And so we've we've. You know, learn. You know, I learned that a peacock makes a sound like a woman screaming. So that's great. That was fun to wake up to at one in the morning, and and you know, it's great to not really have neighbors. Um, you know, where where we lived, it's literally you just reach out the window and touch the house next to you. There's, it's there's no property. There's no, I don't know. It's just as a child, I was lucky. I was born in New Mexico, so um, our nearest neighbor was probably ten minutes away. It was like. A, widespread you know it's just like a a, a john john houston western yeah. you know whereas oklahoma is probably the best thing we can get here is is having that uh that freedom of just having a house and you know for someone who is thinking about buying you just don't you don't need to think of it, you just need to do it because if you overthink it then you're not going to do it and you're going to run it so, and this is not an advertisement for you, but it's just like, they need to find someone who knows what they're doing. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. That, 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 yeah. You're right. And it's, um, there's so much to it. There is so much, especially like you guys, you obviously built a new house. So there's a lot to that as well, but right. it's just funny. You know, like the, the cliche, like, Oh, the guy moves from LA and he's like, what's a brush on? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. There's like, uh, Oh, this is great. So. <laughs> Yeah, my worst right. thing was, you know, to, you know, make sure there's two people in the car for, you know, you know, for yeah. the traffic in L.A. Here is like now she's talking. I'm sorry. And she, oh, don't worry. Uh, we're going to bring our goats up and they will they will eat the weeds in your yard. And they did. Yeah. And just. I just. Well, uh, yeah, I thank God for people like you that know about real estate. Yeah. Thank God for people that uh, are the builders. 
literally, Mike, if I couldn't talk, I would have no career because I can't fix a car, I can't build a house, and uh, I can't uh, teach a brush hog to do anything. So, <laughs> well, you just said, you mentioned all this. So, you grew up in New Mexico. Right. Uh, so, parents obviously moved to New Mexico. You grew up in New Mexico. Right. Where in New Mexico did you grow up? In the Four Corners area, okay. where you would really have to be really lost to get. In the Farmington, Aztec, okay. Bloomfield area, it's in literally in the four corners, New Mexico, Colorado, Arizona, and Utah, way north of Albuquerque. The only place that people know about is Santa Fe or Albuquerque mm-hmm. in New Mexico. And for the most part, that's pretty much all there is yeah. out there. And Roswell. And Ro- <laughs> yeah, thank God for the aliens. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, the, you know, it's, I guess it's like, uh, you know, we were talking about where you come from the more that you're apart from something, the heart grows fonder. And because you're not having to live the daily strife of the the life. So do I miss New Mexico cuisine? It's unlike anything. There's nothing like it in Oklahoma that I've tasted. Yes, I miss it. I miss the type of cooking my mom had learned to do the Southwestern cooking and uh, just the lifestyle. You know, a lot of our, our home was made of adobe. It was, you know, it very, it got in, in chic in the eighties. And, uh, here recently it seems to be coming that rustic Southwest seems to kind of be there, but that's what I grew up with that just the, uh, we, you know, we had a vaulted ceiling with, uh, these big timbers that that's just the way they build stuff back then. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the, the walls were made out of like horse hair and I don't even know what all, yeah. you know, but yeah, I, I really do miss, I miss the culture of New Mexico and, mm-hmm. But most of my life was was spent as a child in Los Angeles, so I didn't really, even though I was born in New Mexico, my day-to-day life after six or so was spent in L.A., Yeah, you know? How, so how does that transition happen then? I mean, you're, you're kind of six years old, you, you're just kind of following mom and dad at that point, going to L.A.? Well, you know, I think my mom had, you know, great plans of, you know, me doing acting and that type of thing. At six, you know, I can yeah. barely tie my shoes. But my grandfather worked in uh, Hollywood. He was a cameraman uh, for CBS Television, Television City. And when we went out there to visit, he, you know, as you have to keep the time frame, so it's the 70s. <clears throat> he asked, "Would you like to meet Winnie the Pooh?" And I was like, "Duh." I mean, what kid in the 70s would not? I mean, he, he was very huge for you know. He he helped with that resurgence of going back to Disney was. You know, once uh, the Disney properties uh, acquired the rights with the A.A. Milne story and the, all that stuff. And uh, they had been really popularized in the 60s. They'd come back with uh, a film, you know, uh, uh, and they were starting to continue doing that. Anyway, he went to lunch with a bunch of uh, grips and that sort of thing. And there's there's one actor that hung out with him for whatever reason. And that was Sterling Holloway, who was the voice of Winnie the Pooh. And so he said, you want to meet Winnie the Pooh? Yes, I do. Well, we went to this greasy diner in, you know, uh, near Beverly Hills. And I met this weird redheaded guy that sounded like Winnie the Pooh, but he sure as heck didn't look like him. And so long story short, he asked my grandfather after I left, does your grandson do a British accent? Because our Christopher Robin is grown up. And my grandfather, without even blinking, said, yes, yeah, of course, he's an actor. He, yeah, he does a British accent. I don't even know what, I don't even know what that is. 
for, for God's sakes, I thought James Doohan on Star Trek was really Scottish. I mean, <laughs> I thought Scotty was Scottish. I mean, what, did I, what do I know? So uh, him and my dad worked with me for like, it seemed like three months trying to get me to do this British accent. And I just wanted to eat Count Chocula cereal and, you know, watch cartoon. I mean, I, what did I know? You're six. Right? I'm six. Yeah. Thank you. And so I... You know, as I was saying earlier, what I ended up with, I made, you know, basically Dick Van Dyke should have won an Academy Award for his performance as Bert in Mary Poppins. That accent that he did is the worst thing in that film. I mean, I love him, but it's the worst. It's the worst accent. I've, I mean, Julie Andrews was perfect. Of course, that's I mean, it's natural for her, but everyone else, it's like, oh, my God. So anyway. Sterling Holloway took us back for the audition, and I guess because I had his glowing recommendation, I was cast as Christopher Robin, and they were, back then, for those that are listening now that really don't know about records, there was this thing called records and tapes, and we made these things called Disney Storyteller Records. And you'll know it is time to turn the page when you hear Tinkerbell go like this. You know, that, that type of thing. And so... Uh, they they were creating these, and I was cast as Christopher Robin, and it was great. We had, you know, the original cast of Winnie the Pooh, you know, Sebastian Cabot, Sterling Holloway, Paul Winchell, all these names that Disney nerds will probably know. They were all still alive, and they were very much doing the episodes, and I was the baby, literally, of the group, and they just doted over me, and I, you know, I felt like I had 15 grandparents, and, you know, plus it was Disney. And so they gave me all kinds of Disney. It was great. And uh, I definitely wanted to start a career then. Little did I know what I was getting into. Yeah, I mean, and wow. <laughs> little did I know how lucky I was because, you know, you have a higher chance of you getting hit by lightning five times in a row than getting cast for something like that. So I was at the right place, right time. Yeah. And didn't have the talent, but... <laughs> You know, I faked it till I could make it. Well, and your granddad's like, yeah, yeah, 100%. He oh, said, yeah. One, yeah. You know, he had that he Oklahoma knew, right? gravitas. Yes, yeah. absolutely. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Gets you home. He's like, right. Right. the British accent <laughs> for the rest of it. Oh, you it's, more, it's more British than the prime minister. You'll love it. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Winston Churchill has nothing on it. <laughs> <laughs> so that, like, I mean, that kind of, that's your, that's your stepping stone. That's your runway. That's like. It was. Your start. It was. And, you know, from there, <clears throat> my agent, uh, you know, she kept me, she basically, she had a dormitory of a bunch of children. We were male and female. We were putting in a, we lived in a dorm and segregated male and female. And, it, you know, just it just started right away. I was immediately cast on a show of, you know, the older viewers would, will know of it. The younger don't even know what I'm talking about, but it's called Little House on the Prairie. Like as an actor, not a voice actor, you were cast. As a, as a non-camera actor, thank you, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so we were just just basically a, a, a background extra. Sure. And occasionally featured extra where we'd have lines and, you know, different parts of that we would do within mm -hmm. a certain episode. Yeah. And at that same time, uh, then we would film that. And then I, for the other six months of the year, I would live in Manhattan and we would shoot Sesame Street. And so... I was bi-coastal for a lot of my early life. We'd fly back and forth. 
And with a few breaks, we also did uh, Mr. Rogers, which was shot in Pittsburgh. Um, but if there was a cereal commercial in the 70s, I was probably eating it. Uh, you know, they loved cereal commercials. And um, one of my claim to fames was, uh, you know, I got to be in one of the uh, first Star Wars Kenner action figures commercial. You know, they were trying to sell kids on isn't this great? Which they were. And so, yeah, me and uh, these kid actors uh, got a hold of these, you know, who had ever heard of an action figure? Before it was just G.I. Joe. Right. You know, yeah. these big Barbie-like dolls. And here were these awesome little soldier, you know, yeah. action figures, which was a whole genre and life was created. Yeah. What's, uh, when you go to, like, you're flying, you know, Across the across the country to go to the other opposite coast to do Sesame Street. Like, what what was your role in Sesame? Everyone listening knows Sesame Street and Big Bird and all that stuff. So, right, right, like, right. What was your role in that? And how old were you during that time? So, same same age. I was about six. I was seven. I was on there for about five years. So, probably six to eleven. And we shot a lot of different skits. Sesame Street was. Uh, a bunch of educators and psychologists that were basically putting together the show. It wasn't your normal TV producers and that type of thing. You did have uh, an incredible inside, a creative genius. You know, I had Jim Henson. He was there on the set. <clears throat> and, talk, you know, just a gentle giant. And I th at that time, I think he was, he was doing The Muppet Show, but no network in the United States would buy the Muppet show. So he had convinced this uh, Lord Grade, I think it was Lou Grade, I think it was his name. Anyway, he said, I'll, I'll finance it, but you're going to shoot it here in, in the UK. So he was also flying back and forth from his creature workshop in London to these, you know, basically Muppets he'd created for Sesame Street. But he did it to... Uh, help educate children, but more importantly, he wanted to be on television. And the way he found out to do that was to have these puppets. And so my role was, you know, I was just a kid actor. So there's times we would inter interact with uh, the Grouch or Big Bird or, you know, uh, Bob, neighbor Bob, he was one of my best friends, just like a lot of kids on the street. So there's a lot of times we were singing with him. And uh, I remember we'd sing with like a uh, Stevie Wonder and, um, you know, different musical talent that were on the show. And, uh, you know, as in the, in the 70s, they were very, very tough on us as far as what we could eat, uh, you know, to make, make sure that we have weight. That was not just uh, Little House or Sesame Street. It was the industry in total. So I didn't have like uh, fast food right away like a lot of kids did. I, I had to wait until I was older. So I didn't get to experience... I had to eat certain things, which was stupid. You never got to experience a happy meal? No. <laughs> and even I was, that was, I was in thousands of McDonald's commercials, <laughs> even though I had never had, we were in this thing called McDonald land. So they would have Ronald and Grimace and all these, right. you know, French flies that flew and burgers that talked and milkshakes that ran. But Sesame Street, <laughs> they would put me on this like five foot wall. You know, I'm again, I'm six years old. Yeah. I'm sitting on the wall, and then behind me is Ernie, run by Jim Henson, and Frank Oz is doing Cookie Monster. And Ernie would pop up with a tray full of cookies. Well, I hadn't had cookies, but I could smell them. And he goes, oh, hmm, these are cookies for my good buddy Connor. You know, and he's popping up with these, uh, oh, my God, I can still smell them. 
you know, just tempting me. And he's like, traumatizing. Yes. <laughs> would you like a cookie cutter? Yes. Oh my, you know, but before I could grab him, Cookie Monster would jump up and eat the whole tray and everything. Yeah. And the camera would just do the slow zoom, you know, on Connor's little face. And they thought that was funny. And like an idiot, like Charlie Brown and the football, you know, multiple times a year, they'd bring me in. It was for banana cream pie. It was for chocolate pudding. It was for, and every time I'd fall for it and Cookie Monster or some other monster would come up and eat the stuff before I could, uh, you know, before I could enjoy it. It was sad. But you didn't really have to act hard in that one, did you? No. <laughs> it was all on your you would have thought face. I would have won an Academy Award. <laughs> no, apparently not. <laughs> oh, wow. But that's, that was my role. Sesame Street was like a, and still is like a family. I still do promos for Sesame Street to this day. So I've literally been with them for fill in the blank. I mean, so I'm 52, six, uh, like 46 years. Wow. Something like that. Yeah. It's unbelievable. That's brilliant. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously you transition into voice at some point. How old are you when you transition away from acting in child acting into voice? Yeah, so I, it was 1987, so I was um, probably about 16. Okay, so okay. you were there for quite a while then, the child actor. Yeah, so I'd done yeah. voiceovers here and there, but yeah. you know, my career mainly seemed uh, on-camera oriented. Mm -hmm. But I really enjoyed commercials. I was such a nerd mm -hmm. that the other actors were like, you don't want a TV? No, I don't want a TV series. I want to be... I want to do a Crest commercial. I want to... You know, I loved commercial. I was a nerd. Yeah. Just... I enjoyed it. Whereas most actors, they wanted to expand, do movies. And I didn't, I wanted to, I was enjoying the commercials. Yeah. So I remember when I was probably seven or eight on little house in the prairie, Michael Landon had gathered a bunch of us kids up and he said, well, now you keep in mind the, the era that this happened. He's looking at all of us, you know, all the stars, all of us, normal kids. And he goes, no, yeah, I don't see any, there's no Paul Newman's, there's no Liz Taylor's. Yeah, unfortunately, when you all grow up, you're going to be big, fat, ugly, and bald. <laughs> well, in my case, he got it just perfect, spot on. Uh, so he said that, although I raised my hand, and he goes, yeah, Connor. And I go, well, then why are you here? And everyone laughed. And he said, why am I here? He said, well, you see the set? I built the set. I, you know, I own the land or lease the land. I write the scripts I can produce, I can direct, and uh, oh, I can act. Yeah. That's why I'm here. And he says, so you, you own, if you want to stay in Hollywood, he was, he was right on this. If you want to stay in Hollywood, it's a tough business. You're probably going to have to find something else to do, whether it be audio or whether it be with a cinematographer or, or costuming or hair, and be in Hollywood that way. Because it's going to be, it's very tough to be an actor uh, and be successful. So as he was leaving, he came by where I was sitting and he goes, and you like to talk a lot. <laughs> and he says, uh, I think you ought to be a voiceover. So I told my agent and she's like, that's probably not a bad idea because as you get in the teenage years, it gets really wonky. We need to find a way to transition you out of, it's very hard as a teenager to get roles unless you're, James Dean, sure. you know, so she was right. I mean, and so was Michael Landon. Um, I do like to talk. And so <laughs> it was perfect. So at 16, uh, I, I started doing commercials. You know, I had a, a deep voice for a kid at 16. And one of my biggest projects at that time was 
um, reading the Bible on cassette. You know, because back then there was no internet. It was the blue screen commercials call 1-800-555-1212, you know, and, you know, send 1995 COD, check your money order, uh, you know, for the uh, Bible on cassette. And so it was a very long, um, you know, my mom was probably the biggest Christian I ever met. Uh, but I had never read the Bible and I lied to get the job. They'd ask you, you're familiar with the Bible and like, and I love it. Yes. I lied. It's just a book. Right? As any actor would do. Right? It's not just a book. Oh but my gosh. To someone who's never read it before. It's oh, a book. Yeah. The first chapter, we were reading the King James version and I thought I would never get, uh, and so-and-so begets so-and-so who begets so-and-so, and he begets so-and-so. I thought, what did I sign up for? I mean, I'm, I'm ready to do commercials, baby. Not, what am I doing? So that was one of my first gigs, and I, that almost kicked me out of the business right there. I was just like, so real quick story. Uh, I hadn't planned on saying this, but, you know, if you're listening, please forgive me for this. If it just, I don't want to offend anybody because again, my mom was the biggest Christian I ever met. And, uh, you know, my agent is Jewish. I mean, I have friends of all faiths, so I'm not trying to say anything, but I just remember there was one particular Bible verse that just absolutely got me. And I'm sure somebody will tell us what the actual phrase is, but I don't know if it was Moses or who the person was, but they said, and so Jesus went into town and so Jesus tied his ass to a tree and went into town. And I thought, oh my God, no wonder this is amazing. He can tie his ass to a tree and yet still go to town. That's just amazing. So I, as a 16 year old and the kid that's running the board, the audio board, you know, he's 20 something. We both laughed. Well, the lady that was the client from the Lutheran church uh, did not laugh, and she fired me on the spot. So that night, my agent called me and said, uh, you're going to call her and apologize, and because that was not funny, this is the Bible. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, months later, we finally finished the Bible on cassette, you know. So somewhere out there is a Bible with my voice as a 16-year-old doing his uh, best to sound like Alexander Scobie. Not sounding like a 16-year-old. <laughs> uh, so after the Bible then, um, what's next? What comes after the Bible? Uh, reading the entire Bible. <laughs> reading the entire Bible. So uh, from there we did uh, episodes of the Transformers and... Uh, <laughs> That was interesting because you had uh, Japanese producers who didn't speak hardly any English, and uh, they seemed very mad at everything we did. You know, everything we did, they were yelling at us. Well, come to find out that was their culture. They weren't mad at us. They were, that's how they talk. So a lot of us actors were basically, I mean, actors were a real sensitive type of people. And so we, what, what the heck did we sign up for this? And... Uh, yeah, so I was. I did several episodes of the Transformers, and I thought this won't last long because they seem to hate all of us. We weren't getting anything right, and from there we did. Uh, I was still in Disney. Kept me active all through throughout the years, uh, doing voiceovers, uh, doing a lot of stuff in their parks, and uh, 
I could do the white rabbit quite well. So they needed replacement dialogue for, um, I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. No time to say hello. Goodbye. I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, which ob- it is also the same voice as Smee from Peter Pan. So, Oh, Captain Hook. I wonder if Peter Pan will imp- same guy, same, same guy that did the voice for both of them. So that got me a lot of work, that ability to do that strange uh, droopy the duck, hello, foe. It's the same guy. Yeah. It, you know, it's the same same one. Kind of like Kermit and Ernie and, you know, that's how it goes. So I did a lot of stuff for Disney uh, and uh, uh, they did a show called uh, Gummy Bears and uh, Tailspins. It was packaged as Disney, uh, Disney Afternoon. <clears throat> so they had several shows on that, Rescue Rangers and... Uh, that kept me busy doing a lot of those type of things. And just in between times, thousands of commercials um, that, you know, that, that kept me extremely busy. One, the best one, because as a as an actor, there's um, there's a few highs. And there is a lot of lows and especially financial. So you have to know how to budget your money because unless you're like Julia Roberts, you're probably not consistently busy. You have to really, it takes many years to develop that type of, uh, you know, client base and that sort of thing. So I remember I, I uh, probably, I want to say probably 80, 89 or 90, I became the voice of Snickers. Yeah. And, you know, I still had that young voice, you know, uh, that I was on. And uh, all I said was, uh, Packed with peanuts, Snickers really satisfies. And they use that worldwide. And so back in that day, they used a lot of music directors were, were directing commercials. And they would just lift my voice and put it on every spot. Well, all of those paid residual. Wow. And <laughs> it was nice just to like, oh, my God, there's a check, you know. Yeah. And I got drunk on that. And it's like, oh, oh yeah, I still have to work. <laughs> you know, I can't just go to the beach and hang out so uh but doing the snickers voice uh helped with residual and then uh probably my biggest uh the thing that really put me on that map was my agent joni venari she also was uh ed grover's uh agent and he was you know he won't you know the average person has no idea who he is but he was the voice of visa worldwide for many years i was in love with his voice and i could imitate it he was a very high-priced guy, so you're talking probably twenty, thirty thousand to get him just in the studio. Well, a lot of clients couldn't afford that, so she was a young woman. So she, well, you know, a way of doing that would be we'll put, have Connor do the voice, and you imitate him, and you know, oh, it sounded like a great idea. So that's what I was doing. All the smaller people around Los Angeles, I was doing Ed Grover's voice. Well, Ed Grover uh, called me one night and said, uh, is this Connor Quinn? I said, yes. And he goes, I'd like to take you out to dinner. I'm like, uh, what? I mean, I mean, like, this is like, you know, my idol. I, I'm, he's like, have you ever been to the Beverly Hilton? I'm like, no. He's like, well, we'll go. I'll send my car by and uh, pick you up. What? I've never been in a limo. Are you kidding? So here I go off to the Beverly Uh Uh, place and uh, we had this dinner and you know he's small talking and he said uh, you know Connor what was interesting is I'm driving along the uh, Pacific Coast Highway and I hear my voice on a 
uh, Southern California Toyota dealer spot. And I knew that I had done that. And I go, oh, yeah, really? He goes, right, but I'm the voice of Nissan. And I'm like, right? And he goes, do you see how that's a conflict? No, that's great. You're both? You're doing both? No, it's a conflict, Connor. See, the people at Nissan, uh, they wouldn't want me to also be doing their voice of their competition. And see, Mrs. Grover, that's my wife, there's a rule with married people. It's called, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Have you ever heard that, Connor? Uh, No, no. And he's like, well, it's the golden rule with married couples. And I want to keep mama happy. Uh, Would you know anything about... I was sweating bullets. I mean... Uh, you know, I, I, I had heard a rumor he was mafia. I didn't know. I thought I was going to go home in a box. I threw Joni under the I threw everybody under the box. They made me do it. I had nothing to do with it. Yes, Southern California. Toy. I also did this, 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 and this using your voice. So there's that. So he listened to me, rattle on, rattle on. And he's like, uh, you know, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So I'm, you know, I'm flattered. But um, do you believe in God, Connor? And I said, yeah. Yeah, and he goes, well, if God himself calls you tonight and says that he wants you to do dull whipped ice cream, you're going to hang up on him, and then you're going to call me, Ed Grover, and say, may I do this? And then I will tell you yes or no. Do do you understand that? And I go, yes, sir. And after we had that little conversation, everything was great. He and his wife invited me over for Italian, and, uh, you know, uh, he was the voice of Visa, uh, at that same time for many years. And when he was retiring, Visa was going to have a fit. And he said, uh, you know, there's a kid that does me better than anyone, and he's a hell of a lot cheaper, and nobody will know the difference, and they don't care. So go with him. So he literally handed me my career on a silver platter. And so, you know, there was their Everywhere You Want to Be campaign, which was, you know, it's like... Uh, there's a little place just outside Stillwater, Oklahoma, that serves up the best baby back ribs. But if you go to Ray's, be sure to bring your Visa card, because he doesn't take American Express. Visa, it's everywhere you want to be. You know, so he had to, yeah, just this very rhythmic way of talking. It almost would put you to sleep. And so I fell in love with that voice, and I still use it to this day. A lot of times they'll want that Ed Grover type voice, yeah. you know, because it's nostalgic for people like me that are Gen X. It's we, we grew up on that, yeah. you know. Well, it's nice that he didn't just say, you know, like, stop it, right? Like, right. it's nice or, that he said, no, you're going to call me. Yes, right? or, or knife me in the parking exactly. lot. Exactly, yeah. You end up, in a, like you said, in a box somewhere in the desert. Right, yes. Uh, yeah, an Italian necktie. Yeah. yeah. And then he gave you just like, I mean. It was, he was very kind. And, and he was one of the few guys at that time that had a, a recording studio in, there, in his house as far as voiceover was concerned. And that just blew my mind. He had, you know. Uh, he had the top of the line Neumann microphones, so we're talking, you know, eight, twelve thousand dollar microphones in his house, and so, he, you know, going over there, it was also for lessons. He would teach me how to act. You know, he was an on-camera actor. He, if people look him up, he was on many episodes of Columbo and Quincy and uh, Love Boat, and you know, he was on a million things. But he he made his most money doing voiceovers because he was the voice the original voice of Macintosh computers, then the voice of Apple, Nissan, Visa, Keebler. It just, the list goes on and on. Yeah. I think you mentioned before we started recording, there was like, you know, when you're in LA, there was not 
that many of you guys around, right? So a lot of you have a lot right. of the industry. What's that like now? So now it is completely different. You know, back then, like I said, there was probably may, not even 50 people that controlled 85% of everything you heard in the English speaking world. Um, that also includes uh, UK voiceovers who are very exclusive to, uh, you know, doing, you know, doing uh, native speaking over there, just like we'd have native uh, American speakers here and occasionally have someone from the UK do something special, um, you know, like uh, Jaguar or, you know, something that is exquisite that we need that British sound for. So back then, you know, a small group of people today, it's like anyone with a USB microphone uh, and a subscription to voices.com say that they're a voiceover. And it's like a, I applaud them for trying, but it's like it's very it's very much muddied the water, you know, especially with AI now more than ever. You have to be on top of your game as a, if you're going to be a voice actor, you have to be true and realistic uh, because AI will be able to do anything else. And so the only thing, the only way to really beat AI as of we speak, as of right now, is to be human yeah. because it's. As of right now, it's not great at doing it. So uh, not to say that it won't be, you know, it's... It's learning. Fast. Yeah. But a lot of my clients are saying, you know, they, there will always be a premium price to pay for a human actor, you know, human presence. I can't tell you how many times when I watch YouTube, I'm really interested in whatever this guy might have to say this, you know, here's a JFK conspiracy. And then it starts off and it, I can hear it's an AI. I'm, I don't care if he has a breakthrough. I don't even want to hear it. The, it just is so irritating to hear, you know, that same pitch, that kind of that monotone uh, way all the way through it. It's just, yeah. yeah. So a lot of these kids that are, you know, I say kids, you know, a lot of these people that are wanting to be a voice actor, um, you know, there are some USB microphones that are okay, but for me, XLR, uh, I'm not saying you have to have a, a Neumann U87 or some of these, you know, fancy microphones, but there are microphones that are XLR that are like $250, $300 that are great. Plus, more than anything, you need a space that is um, acoustically treated, if not a whisper room, because a, a client may, list, may take you one time, but as soon as they hear your audio... Uh, they're because they'll want you, they want you to send the audio raw, not processed, not, uh, you could have all the, uh, uh, plugins you want. They don't want any of it. They want it completely raw. And they also want photos of your studio. So if, if, you know, people like Pandora, Disney, CNN, I mean, Crayola, they're not going to put up with anything less than that. So if they see that, oh, you're just uh, out in the middle of the living room with a baby's crib, right? they're not going to do that. So a lot of people are smart. They're learning. There's a cost-effective ways of doing it, of like getting a small closet with clothes in it that absorb the sound. And, you know, there's plenty of ways to learn online about how do I kind of acoustically treat my, my space. Uh, you don't have to be a millionaire and you don't have to spend a million dollars to do it. But God, I mean... That's a long answer, but to your question, it's just like there's just too many people trying, and I've heard the auditions. They're horrible. You hear a train in the background and sirens, and their mom is yelling in the background. You know, it's like, 
how serious are you? Shooting in the dark over here. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of what I figured you'd say just with, you know, with social media and just, you know, tech and all AI and all the stuff. Now it's and the fact that like you you were saying, you don't have to be in LA and driving around in a car to go to editions now. You can just kind of record and send a file to whoever. I I'd, I'd hate to be on the other end to have oh, to go through all of those auditions too, right? Cuz they, oh, they have to do it. Right. Too. So, I found, you know, I get most of my work through my agent and I also do direct marketing. I don't really go for these, what they call pay to play sites, which is your voices.com, voice123.com, where you pay a premium, like $500 a year, to uh, get auditions sent to you. The best way is either to get an agent, which is not easy to get a qualified or a quality agent, but it costs nothing to develop real uh, relationships with clients who want consistent, good human work. And those, that's where you're going to find your, you know, again, you know, I have, you know, I, I mentioned that I do coaching and stuff so almost always when they come in, it's like, well, I can tell right off you want to be in an anime, you want to be the uh, juvenile or ingenue, and uh, you want to be the lead. It's like you have a higher chance of being hit by lightning three times in a row than being the next Disney princess. Uh, a lot of the money is made in corporate is very boring. It's corporate narrations you know, safety spiels, but that's where the money is. It's not a glamorous job. But if it was, you know, if I wanted glamour, I probably would do something besides voiceover. Right, right? yeah, yeah, you'd have picked something else. Right. right? Uh, and you wouldn't have taken the advice that uh, the guy gave you back in the day. Right, right, uh, true. But well, tell me about kind of what it's like then with the industry and being in Oklahoma, and you mentioned coaching. Do people, kids in Oklahoma, are they coming to you? Are you doing any work with kind of like Prairie Surf Studios down the road in Oklahoma City? Like our film scene obviously has been growing, and does, that, has, help you? Yeah. does that help you as well? Yeah, it, it, it gives more visibility. Okay. You know, a lot of clients are, for, for the first part, they're like, I'm sorry, where are you? Oklahoma, where is that? And I'm like, well, it's a flyover state. It's, oh, okay, well, yeah, it's in the brown area. You know, but it's like I wouldn't trade my peace of mind here in Oklahoma for anything. You know, I made a choice to live here. I love it. Um, so, no, I have uh, I coach people all over the United States as you know, they're we, we talk on Zoom classes where they're in their little production booth so I can see their setup and teach them acting and and. Uh, Against AI, that's the I'm not saying be with me and not necessarily or anyone, but find a coach. Uh, to find out what you need to know, you know, what you don't know, you don't know is amazing. And coaching is something that even I do to this day. I, I receive coaching because they're, that sound that they're wanting is always changing. Like right now, the, you know, the millennial read, they call it, you know, that's very popular, the very conversational, uh, non announcery uh, Voice, You know, they just want the guy next door, like you're talking at a coffee shop and you're just telling them about a product. The era that I grew up in, um, this is Jimmy and Jimmy is a big guy. You know, they, they wanted that, you know, very big gravitas. And I still get called to do those, uh, those voices. Those are fun, nostalgic, but it's not the norm. They just want that, that uh, millennial read they're calling it right now. And... In the 80s and 90s, they didn't call it the millennial read. They called it uh, a slice of life voice. They just wanted to make it sound like your neighbor. Hey, have you heard about the new, you know, you know, just the way a normal guy talks? 
And uh, so, yeah, I think that's a part of it is, is when someone's interested is finding a coach is just getting someone no matter where they are, but try to find someone that is uh, a working actor that helps. Yeah. Uh, there are so many fakers out there that it's like you look at what they've done. It's like it, maybe they finished acting in the eighties and they quit acting and all they do is teach and that sort of thing. I think it makes a difference if you're still in the game as you know, I'm not a teacher. I, I'm a full-time voiceover and I coach a few on the side, but I, it's not my main thing. Yeah. Uh, but being in Oklahoma is just, for me, it's great. It's much better than Los Angeles having to drive, you know, back and forth to the agent, uh, to do an audition you know, I hear guys complain, oh my God, I, I did five auditions this morning. It was such a labor. It's like, no, <laughs> getting in your car and driving in two hours traffic for one audition that you may not get paid for, that is a pain. I would, I can sit in my booth and do it all day. I don't mind at all, yeah. you know, but I do miss the give and take, you know, you'd show up to a, a studio and you would get to know the receptionist, you'd get to know the producers and you'd do small talk. And I do miss that small interaction. You know, I still have that. Uh, we use a thing called uh, Source Connect, which is a way of connecting my studio with maybe a studio in London and maybe the uh, producer is in Los Angeles and we all talk at the same time. And so there is that element of being able to communicate with them and have a relationship, but it, there's nothing, as you know, it's, there's nothing like face-to-face. Yeah. I guess it would be like yeah. selling real estate just but by phone or by Zoom. It's like, can be done. Yeah, but. I have done. But again, you're right. It's that, well, it's just that relationship connection, right? You just, yes. and we need that as human beings, right? We need totally. to sit. I listened to a podcast this morning and it, uh, the guy on the podcast said that his dad, who's also in real estate, came up with a great quote. He's like, you just need to meet belly to belly. Not face to face. He said belly to belly, right? Like, right. Get the deal done, meet belly. To, I just thought that's hilarious. We're that is. Face to face. Um, it's the same oh, belly to belly. Belly to belly it is. Uh, right. But no, you're right. It's just that we need that. And I think, you know, uh, as, you know, the last few years have gone, like people have kind of like gone back into their kind of bunker and, and don't want well, to leave completely. their house, right? And they're all on their phones or they're, you know, they're maybe they're FaceTiming, but just that like personal, like sit in front of someone, have a conversation. That's why I love doing this. Um, I think yeah. so. And I think that's why podcasting in general has taken off so much in this, uh, you know, I do a lot of audio dramas now, which in my world are basically old radio programs. That's the way those were done. Uh, but now they call them audio dramas or uh, even some call them podcast. Uh, I think of this as a podcast, yeah. whereas if you have a cast, sometimes they call that a podcast, but I, in my mind, that's not a podcast. Yeah. You when know? you've got someone kind of like, I guess, yeah, doing a show. That's, yeah. That's so kind of, it was yeah. a rainy night. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, a, that's a story to me, right? right? Like, yeah, that's exactly. Like, yeah. Curl up. I've got a story. Welcome to the tavern. Right. You know, it's like, no, no. Cause you're uh, painting a picture of the room. Right. And the whole scene, you know, right. just like chatting and having a conversation yeah, about yeah. whoever the guests are or about a topic. Yeah. Um, I mean, but yeah, the stuff is still, you know, still done. I still do a lot of movie trailers. In fact, <clears throat> I did, uh, I did several of the Harry Potter film trailers, which I hadn't read any of those. You know, I'm too old. I hadn't read any of the books. And I remember when the uh, second Harry Potter had come out, they'd sent me the script. You know, I didn't even know what they were talking about. And they wanted to match... uh, Make sure I get this right. I think it was Dumbledore. Dumbledore? Is that his name? Dumbledore. Dumbledore. 
Double doors. Double door. Well, that's uh, someone that's plus size. Uh, so Dumbledore, they wanted the trailer voice to sound something like that. And uh, so they sent me a, a little bit of the uh, scratch track of uh, the actor that, that plays Dumbledore. And so I was listening to him and they said, well, he, that actor did not want to do the, the trailer. And so they're looking to cast it. And, but, but we wanted a little more magical. And I was like, oh my God, I don't even know how, how would I even approach this? I don't even know what these are about. And at that time I was studying with a guy named Hal Douglas and Hal, it's hard to describe it. His voice is magical. And he did a lot of movie trailers and, uh, he had just recently passed and so but for some reason I, I i had the ability to really do his voice and so i thought that's exactly how i'll approach it is how 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 douglas would have done the voice and so it's uh you know his voice was kind of like a she was a cop and he was a killer and together they're cops and robbers. You know, he had this kind of funny way of talking. And so I thought, I'll do it that way. And that's the voice that they ended up wanting was uh, uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone begins Friday, November 23rd at a theater near you. You know, that type of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they liked it. I thought it was it sounded really weird too, too whispery. Yeah. But they liked it. Uh, yeah, and. Awesome. To me, that's like hitting a home run in my world. You know, if they uh, if they like enjoy listening to it, um, it's one of the few times when I hear it. It's like, God, I don't know. That, to me, it sounds too, in a word, buttery. Right. <laughs> yeah, too too much, too produced, or too much, right? Not right. Much. So if I went around talking like this, you would think, what a weirdo. They might put you in a in a in a room somewhere on your own or padded room, <laughs> right? right? Uh, do you have insurance for your voice? No. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, there was a great actor. His name was Paul Fries. He's a legend in Hollywood. Uh, you can hear him all throughout Disneyland, Disney World, Euro Disney. Uh, he's the voice of the Haunted Mansion. Okay. And uh, for kids of my generation, he was the voice of Boris Badenoff on uh, Bullwinkle. He was the voice of uh, Toucan Sam for Fruit Loops and the original voice of the Pillsbury Doughboy. Wow, and so his normal voice was like this. He really didn't put up with a with with a, enough, you know. He didn't really put up with anything, and so he always sounded pissed off every time he talked. Like, what the hell do you want? And he was a he was a funny man. Uh, he was very arrogant, but it was you could tell it was an act. But you ne he never let you know that. Yeah. But it's like you had a mutual understanding. It was, and he. It's almost like he winked at you, like, do you like it? You know, because it was just delicious. It was, it was, you know, it's like, I wish that I could have been that way. But yeah. he was. But he always, he had, uh, he would carry in his vest, oh, if you don't, if you want to see it, it's from Tiffany's. My vocal cords are insured by Tiffany's of London. And so, you know, if you try to get between me and my voice, well, I'm insured. Or Lloyds of London, whatever the hell it was. And yeah. uh, so he was the only guy I knew of that was really insured. But actually, it makes perfect sense because this is my way of making money. And so uh, in 2020, um, in November of 2020, before there was anything, I had caught COVID. And I mean, it took me, it was 
that first round was like, oh my gosh. So I didn't work for a month, you know? So it, it was, I wish that I would have had insurance, but I'm not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a reminder. Right? That's the one thing I was thinking of, because like, you know, you get a cold or COVID or, you know, chest infection or whatever it is, like it obviously going to change your vocal cords and your voice. It and does, yeah. Or your energy and all the other stuff. Well, and if you, when I was a kid, I was 16 or 17, I'd gotten a cold and man, my voice sounded great. It was just, you know, super deep, uber deep and, I got cast for a commercial and they love, geez, my God, your voice is in, oh, I know, my voice is, sounds like Paul Freese and da, da, da. Well, they cast me, I got it. Two months later, they wanted me to do pickup lines. You know, they had, I could I was like, um, you know, so I couldn't, you know, my real voice was up here. Um, um, I'm smoking cigars, drinking whiskey, nothing. It's not working. So yeah, I've learned to, uh, you know, as, as a voiceover actor, you kind of learn that sometimes if you want to get that deep richness, it's best to record those kind of voices early in the day. So if I do video games where I'm doing a lot of dying scenes, screaming, I try to I try to get those later in the afternoon so I can do most of my work because my voice is going to be shot after screaming and yelling and, you know, something for Call of Duty. It's like, you know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to make it if I, you know, do that. Uh, do you play any of those games and listen to yourself? I don't play those <laughs> games. Yeah. It's like, like, me. A friend of mine was, yeah, I was like, uh, yeah, my partner was like, uh, a few years ago was a uh, he, he, big video game guy. And so he called me in and, and he had stolen a car on Grand Theft Auto and turned the radio on. It's me. <laughs> and, uh, on another one, you know, uh, Elder Scrolls Online and Skyrim, you know, I play Kings and, um, you know, we're, we're going back to that, <clears throat> to that mid-Atlantic accent because it's in a fake world. So there is no UK, there's no uh, New York accent or whatever. So you're creating what would someone say? Well, mid-Atlantic's perfect because it doesn't exist, you know. Cary Grant, nobody, <laughs> nobody talks like Cary Grant. It was... He's British, but his that's it was him trying to do kind of a uh, an American accent. Then you had um, you know uh, Audrey Hepburn um, or Catherine Hepburn, and they're doing this very British or not British Mid Atlantic uh, stage accents, which was popular in that era. You know, so that the you, it was like non regional. It's like well, it, yeah, it might be. Uh, you couldn't really place where the heck it was from. And that was the thing that we would do in Skyrim was that they wanted to keep it non-regional, but yet it's like, well, that guy did one. It sounds like he's from Wales or it sounds like, oh, he sounds from Ireland or, you know, yeah. it's reality. You can't get away from it. But, uh, yeah, I think you know, the one game I did play was, uh, and I loved it. I was in was called, um, kingdom hearts. Okay. And you know, that involves some of the original Disney characters and that's, so that was fun. I, I liked you know, yeah. unlike other actors, I love hearing myself. It's like, you know, friends will call with, you know, there'll be videotaped. Oh my God, Connor, this is you. Did you do a golf ball commercial? Yep. That's me. Is that you on Brahms? Yep. That's me. That's, you know, <laughs> have you had, um, any, like, obviously you've done a lot of commercials with a lot of different businesses. Have you had any really good perks from any of these businesses? Yeah. You know, going back to like the, the visa commercial, I'd never, they were like one of the major Super Bowl yeah. um, sponsorships for years. And so every year they would, I'm not a sports guy, you know, but 
my partner w- was a huge sports guy. And so f- before I'd met him for a year, they would ask me, uh, do you want tickets to the, to the Super Bowl, to our executive suite? No. Why would I, why would I want to? No. He, you know, he uh, is from Italy. So he, his accent, his uh, English isn't great. I make him sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger, even though he doesn't sound like this. But he's, what, what is wrong with you? Why would you, what, what are you, stupid? Oh, what happened? You know, it's like, that's his question for everything. When I first met him, it was like, uh, I, would, I would say, what's up? And he would look up, yeah. you know, like uh, his understanding was so funny. Right. But anyway, he was a very big, you know, into sports. So he couldn't understand why would you not... Because you could sell those and retire. Right. And so, yeah, they have them. Disney has always been wonderful with perks as far as uh, providing you with all kinds of, you know, incentives and, and stuff like that. Um, uh, Crayola, we'll send you crayon. No, I'm kidding. Uh. <laughs> you got as many crayons as you want. <laughs> right, 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 right. Every single, even the colors they don't sell. That's right. Well, yeah, some color. that are, you, our platinum levels yeah. are, are the only ones that receive yeah. these. <laughs> Uh, finishing up, uh, okay, bringing this kind of somewhat to a close because I, I mean, I could sit here forever, but I want to I could too. your time. Um, hobbies, what do you do outside of voice acting? It's it's funny that you ask that because it's like you know, my my life or my hobby is my career. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't had a vacation, I don't know how long because you know, I'm the voice of a lot of you know, do a lot of TV stations and radio imaging and not so much radio, but television, it's like if the their governor dies, you need to be Johnny on the spot, you know, for, you know, tonight at 10 and telling him all about governor so-and-so who passed away and how he will be missed. Uh, so you can't really leave. It's like a ball and chain. You have to stay pretty much right on the microphone or they'll replace you at the drop of a hat. So... Um, hobbies have what's what's kept me alive so my biggest hobby probably would be magic i enjoy doing magic uh yeah. you know it started as a as a kid probably on a on a set uh where someone asked me uh you know we're bo- you know there's a lot of downtime on a movie or a tv commercial set and so they were asking is there uh something that you'd like to do like magic and so they'd show me a coin trick and you know as a kid it's like oh my god that's absolutely you made that coin disappear so i took it like to a duck to water so i love absolutely do you want to do something well this is kind of i didn't expect to lead into this but yes do you have time sure why not well the sponsors will they uh approve of this i can always cut it out if it ends up terribly but yeah go for it okay so um this is a, a trick that got me kicked out of uh, many a casino. Okay. So this is a very secret thing. So anyway, examine that. Uh, I'm, I'm throwing yeah. him a die. Yeah. Die, die is singular for dice. Yes. Okay. Just a normal die like you have in risk or whatever. So you're going to keep yeah. that. Okay. And so in a minute, I want you to roll it and or you can just choose a number. Okay. But whatever it is, I, I'm going to look away. I'm, I want you to choose a number. Okay. And... I want you to uh, keep it looking so this face up, mm-hmm. but keep it covered so I can't see okay. it. All right, I'm yep. gonna look away, All and right. you do this. All right. Got it. Okay, so so do you have it? Yeah. Okay. So 
I'm really good at reading tells. Okay. You know, I don't really play poker, but I really should. So without giving anything away, I want you to say, now the audience will have to trust us. I have not, we've not set up anything in advance. I want you to very quickly say each number, one through six, one, two, three, four, but don't give any indication as to what one it is. I'm going to listen and watch very carefully. Okay. All right, Mike. All right. One, two, three, four, five, six. So there's only one that you blinked on. Really? And it was number one. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> I so, didn't even know I blinked. Yeah. So That's do it again. Awesome. Now do it. Now this time, don't look. Just roll. Okay. And don't look. Don't look at yeah. it. Yeah. Just count without looking at it. Yeah. Just kind of roll and cover it. Did you look? No. Okay. I need an eye. Okay. What do you think it is? Three. So what's the month and day you were born? Uh, September. September the 21st. September 21st? Yeah. So September 21st. That's a five. No, that's ridiculous. How do you do that? That's wild. So I'm just lucky, I guess. That's just... I want lessons in, in being doing this because this is just the coolest thing ever. And it's terrible for audio only for a podcast, but there is a, I just roll the five. Um, it really I mean, is, yes. That's awesome. Well, Connor, that was hilarious. Uh, your story's awesome. I, again, we could sit here for hours. Um, I need to have you on again. Let's just, this it would be my cool. pleasure. Let's yeah, just make absolutely. this kind of like a, 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 a no bi yearly occurrence and we can just check in every two <laughs> right. years and see what happens. Um, right. But thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, love your stories I know there's a ton more which we'll get to eventually um, for people listening that maybe want to uh, have you be their coach or reach out or someone listening might have a kid that wants to has got a strange voice that wants to you know can really do accents um how do they reach out to you? Well, I only work with adults. You know, people, Okay. there are coaches that are, work great with kids and are able to kind of like move them up the ladder. For me, it's better for uh, an adult that's already sure. developed their voice and that sort of thing. But yeah, my website is voxguy.com, V-O-X-G-U-Y.com. And uh, yeah, just reach out to me. There's my email on there. So I'd be more than glad to answer any questions for them or help them on their journey. It's a fun journey. You know, if I die tonight, I'm a lucky guy. It's like I've had a one in a million career that I never dreamed would be possible. Thanks, you know? thanks to Winnie the Pooh, right? Oh, and All granddad. Things, my granddad, my granddad, that'll be a book. My granddad and Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming down. Really appreciate it. Uh, for people listening, I'll put the link to Connor's website in the description and we will catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, share an Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at OklahomaHof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned 
Oklahoma business. Down in El Reno, they're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This episode is presented by Citizens Bank of Edmond. Citizens Bank of Edmond has been serving Edmond since 1901. They pride themselves on investing in the community and are here for all your personal and business banking needs. For more information, go to mycitizens.bank and follow them on Instagram at citizensedmond. As well as go bank there because I bank there too. It's been a fantastic personal experience for me. I've had my podcast account there now, my podcast business account there now for a few, four years now, I think. And it's been fantastic. So definitely worth your time. They're a great group of people and they're always there to answer the phone when I forget my password because I seem to forget it daily. Um, so yeah, go to Citizens Edmund and um, check them out. It's been awesome. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram. 